wonderfully blessed us. And we have an opportunity, an encounter. We have been led to the place this morning where we can worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Romans chapter number 12, verses 14 through 21. The title of the message is Overcome Evil with Good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, thank you, God. Thank you so much for your awesome, wonderful, glorious word. We don't have to think, speculate, hope we know what you're saying to us. We can open this book and hear from you directly. I know, God, that each in this room has his or her struggles. And there's a lot of things on our minds that would take away from what you want to teach us this morning. So I pray right now that you would draw us and our attention to you, to your word, and that, Holy Spirit, you would, in, in fact, teach us, that you would change our lives. God, we live in evil days. You know that. And we struggle on how we should navigate these times. May we see this morning that we can overcome evil, and we overcome it with good. Lord, I pray right now that you would send us a revival. That you would awaken us from our slumber. That your church would come alive. Sharing the gospel with lost men and women, boys and girls. I pray this morning for your help for I cannot even begin to teach without you. I ask you to fill me with your spirit, enable me. To preach what you have given me for your glory. God, we love you and we desperately need you. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. What we're about to learn is so against human nature. Why is human nature, the flesh, against or opposite of what God wants for us? I'll tell you there's one reason. And that reason is the fall. Adam and Eve, living in the most perfect environment, had never sinned until 
they succumbed to the temptation. Eve succumbed to the temptation of the devil through the serpent. She took the fruit, gave it to Adam. I'm not blaming Eve, I'm blaming Adam. Adam was the one that was told. And Adam takes that fruit and he eats of that fruit. He ate of that fruit full well knowing what God had told him about what the consequences were when he ate that fruit. But many of us fail to realize what the results and the consequences truly were of the fall. Everyone else born after that was born in the image of Adam, the fallen man. With a fallen nature. The reason humans treat each other so badly is because of the fall. Because of Adam's sin and the sin nature. It didn't take long for the first family had two sons. And you know the story. Cain slew Abel. And it's the opposite of what God wanted. Why did he do that? Because of the fall. Why do men and women do evil things? Because of the fall. And we don't want to talk about sin in our churches. We don't want to talk about sin in our land. We want to go to church and we want to be you know, inspired and motivated and feel good. But let me tell you something. We have to start with the problem. And the problem that you and I have with treating each other poorly is a problem that is a result of the fall, the curse, sin. So law comes along, and what does law do? Law doesn't fix the problem. It just shows us we have a problem. The Bible says no one has ever been justified by the law. Keep all the rules you want. It will not get you to heaven. It will not get you to heaven. So the law comes along and says, do not murder. But you know, men still murdered. Why? Because of that fallen nature. Something has to be done about that fallen nature. This law merely showed us that we could not be right on our own. I've only witnessed to one person in all my life in ministry, I have one person that refused to admit he was a sinner. One person. And I could not help that person because he would not acknowledge his sin. Our hearts needed changed. That's when we could not go to him, so he came to me. And he came to you. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth, born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, lived a perfect life, never sinned, but as a result of love was willing to go to the cross for you and for me because of that first sin that took place. So Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He is beaten beyond the image of a man. He is humiliated, is spit upon, and he dies a horrible death on the cross. And let me remind you, it wasn't the beating and the humiliation that was what Jesus was saying, let this cup pass by me. It was the wrath of God. 
He bore the wrath of God for you and for me. They took him off that cross. They laid him in a borrowed tomb. But he didn't stay there. As our ladies sang this morning, he arose from the grave. When you and I, those of us in this room that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, when we came to repentance and faith and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for our eternal salvation, our hearts were changed. We were born again with a new nature. And it is through that power, the power of the gospel, that you and I are enabled to treat people the right way. It is the power of the gospel that has changed us So we have no excuse when we treat people poorly because we have the power available through the Holy Spirit to treat people the right way, the way Jesus Christ treated people. I don't think, and maybe I just was sheltered when I was growing up, but I don't ever remember such a divisive, such a time when people were rude, they were just downright evil to each other. People treat people differently because they have different opinions, different color of skin. This is ridiculous. There is but one race, the human race, Acts teaches us. And God is sovereign over all. And because of the power of the gospel, and I pause for just a moment and say if you're here in our service and you have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, You can today. You can today. Well, really not into religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about whether you're going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell. Death, yes, death is separation, but it's not just separation uh, from God. Second death, talking about people that die without Christ. It's not just a separation from God. You're just not in a dark room thinking, oh, you know, I don't get to be with Christ. No. Jesus himself taught it was a place of torment, a place of suffering, a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place not created for humans. It was created for the devil and his followers and his demons. And the people who refuse to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they die, they go to that place because they didn't believe. So if you're here, I beg you this morning, please, Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and believe in Him and what He did on the cross for your eternal salvation. For those of us who have repented and believed, we have no excuse for how we treat people. Sometimes Christians can be the cruelest people ever. Ever. We're going to look at some difficult things in the text this morning, and I don't pretend to be an expert on this. I'm merely reporting what the Word says. I am a work in progress, asking the Holy Spirit to deliver me from myself and make me like Jesus. People, we don't need people in our land like other pastors and other teachers and other things. Jesus Christ is the standard. We need men and women that resemble Jesus Christ. The only way you and I can be surrendered serving Christians is because of the transformation that took place when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is central to everything. It's not an addendum that we add on the end of the service. It is everything. 
And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. You are no longer your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Now the world will tell you a lot of things. It will tell you that you need to take care of yourself. That you need to watch out for number one. You need to do unto others before they do it unto you. But I will tell you this. God's word shows us a better way. But it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. You've got to learn to say no to self. How many of you would agree with me that's the most difficult thing, right? Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it, right? The devil gets a lot of blame for sometimes we, what we do in the flesh. So how do I come overcome evil with good? If that's the context and I'm redeemed, how can I do what this word is telling me to do? Well, I want to show you a few things. First of all, in verse 14, bless those who persecute you and do not curse. <laughs> all right, Paul, if ever there was a gut punch... This is it. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that the very people who try to injure me, whether it be by words or cause me harm physically or emotionally or mentally, I am to bless them. I am with my lips to ask God to bless them. I am to, are you kidding me? Yes, I'm telling you the God's honest truth. I know I'm not kidding you, but yes, I'm telling you the truth. How in the world could I do such a thing? Well, you know, blessing has to do with your mouth speaking. And when we ask God to bless someone, we are asking God to pour out his riches on them and to, to give them his blessings. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what people have done to me. I, you're absolutely right. I don't. I don't know how a young adolescent boy could stand in a courtroom and face the person that killed his older brother, and in tears tell him he has forgiven that murderer. I don't know how a 13 or 14-year-old boy could do that. But all I know is the Bible says, because of the gospel, we can be different. You can bless those who persecute you. I, uh, there was a time in this church when we were going through some really rough, rough times. We were remodeling in the gym and we were trying to do things better. We were trying to do things right. We were trying to make it great. And we uh, were building a wall around a wall that we thought perhaps had some asbestos. We were making it better. We didn't know for sure, but we encapsulated it, made it better. And I remember it was one of the darkest times in ministry I had. There was a lot of going on back and forth, bantering back and forth. And I was really at the point of just saying, man, this is not worth it. I just want to leave. I'm over here working one day, and I get a knock on the door, and a gentleman comes up, and he hands me a badge. And I look at the badge, and he says, "This we're from the EPA. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, we'd like to see your building. We had a call um, that you had spread asbestos all over the gym and all over the, the teaching, and all those kids were in there. And 
Apparently some people were calling people in the church telling them not to bring our kids because we had asbestos in there. I take the man over there and we go in and we show him what we did and we investigated everything. He took pictures, ready to report, and he said, you're good. It's better than it's ever been. Gave me a clean bill of health. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget that day. When he left, I sat downstairs in the office and I cried. I thought, how in the world could someone ever even think that someone in this church would do something like that? And the bad thing was, is the man hands me a report and he gives me the name of the person who called. I wish he wouldn't have done that. Because in my flesh, you know what I wanted to do? I didn't want to bless. I wanted to re-persecute. A little bit of South Point was coming out in me. I was ready to... Those of you who don't know South Point, yeah. But I remember someone giving me godly counsel. There's a good friend of mine named Keith Matheny. And I was lamenting to Keith. And Keith said, you know, there was a guy that used to preach when I was a kid growing up. And everyone could not wait to hear him preach. And everybody wanted him to preach in his church. And there was a bunch of them talking one night. And they said, Bob Taylor, why is it everybody wants you to preach in your church? Why is it everybody wants to be around you? Why is it everybody loves you? And he said, it's easy. I never hit back. Through counsel, I grew and when I learned to pray for those people and that individual, God began to take a burden off my heart. You see, here's what's happening, guys. There's a lot of Christians that are suffering unnecessarily because you're too worried about what people are doing to you rather than focusing on Christ and living your life and enjoying the blessings you got. You got a good family, you got a good church. And people are coming at you, and your life is good, and you got 10% of people causing you a problem, and it's knotting you up inside. It's causing you to be grouchy and fight with everybody. You have no peace. You can't sleep. You can't walk. You can't eat. Why don't you try to just bless them? Just pray for them. It's easy for us to pray for people we love and people who uh, support us and help us, but it's another thing when someone's coming at you. To pray for him. There was a guy, Harvey Butcher. He's in heaven. And he was a salesman. If ever anybody was a salesman, he would make people mad. And he would come up and he would see them coming. And he knew they were mad. And he'd run up a big smile, put his hand in, shake their hand. How you doing? And you just wanted to hug him before he's done. You lost all sense of being angry at him. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I can, we can learn to bless those who persecute us. Now listen, people are going to talk about you. So what? So what? Um, there was a fella, used to be a preacher, and he was a rather large preacher, very, very, very vocal. He would preach against sin, and he would name people, and he was, got a lot of hate mail. And he told his secretary, he said, there's no reason for me to read that hate mail. He says, no reason for me to read it. Rehash it, live it. He said, it does me no good. So you read it, and if it's bad, just throw it away. I'll read the good ones, but I won't read the bad. And listen, 
someone comes to you and says, you know what someone said about you? Just say, Look, I don't even care. I don't want to hear it. I, I'm not worried about it, but you tell me, then I'll start fixating on it, and I'll start I'll, I'll fixating on it, and then I'm going to start mulling it over, and then I'm going to start planning my, re, my revenge. If I had the chance of this, you know, uh, you know, just put a little air hole in the brake line or something. You know, no, I mean, <clears throat> bless those who persecute you. You know, do you think maybe that Jesus, God has put this in the word of God for us because he knows that when we hold those things, it really destroys us? Of course he knows that. He's God. He knows everything. So I'm going to overcome evil by when someone persecutes me, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to love them until they learn to love me. I'm going to hug them. That's hard, ain't it? Now they might shy away from you. There's someone I know that I irritate. I irritate them. And I know they don't like me, and it's not my fault why they don't like me. (laughs) You didn't think I was going to tell you it's my fault, did you? And when I see that person, I make all over them. And they are so uncomfortable wanting to get away from me. But I'm, I'm fine. I'm not worried about it. I am not going to fret over that, guys. And, and, and I'm, I'm encouraging you to don't. Just bless those who persecute you. Number two, rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Listen. We need, we need to learn this in our church. I look around and I see teenagers. We ought to be their biggest fans, their biggest cheerleaders. They ought to look at their church and say, you know, those people down there, they love me. And we genuinely love you. They love me at my church. And when I do something great, they're going to be with me. And they're going to support me. And they're going to encourage me. And they're going to be right behind me rejoicing with me. Hey, so-and-so won this. Can you believe it? Let's give him a big round of applause. You think, oh, that's just elementary. Well, get off your high horse. To that kid, they're right now, they're, they're being molded and shaped, and they're, they're fragile. And you can do a lot of damage to their self-esteem if we're not careful. And the Bible tells us, even pertaining to adults, when it comes to our relationship here, when people in our church rejoice, we ought to rejoice with them. When they weep, we ought to weep with them. It's about being connected. It's about loving one another. It's about doing things Christ's way. I'm reminded of the story where Mary and Martha are kind of short notice. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, you know. So they go back, and Martha's trying to get everything in order. You know how you stuff everything under the bed and, you know, close the cabinets. and Be careful those cabinets will get you. That's what this is. They're here. But you, uh, you, you, you try to make everything right. You know, Jesus is coming. We're, we want everything to be perfect. Jesus is coming. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's worshiping him. And Martha gets aggravated. You know how it is, sisters. You know, you're doing all the work, and she's sitting right there. How dare she sit there and let me do all the work and in here Jesus is talking to her and he don't even notice what I'm doing. And Jesus tells her, Martha. And I don't think he was rude or crude or mean. 
And he was very compassionate. He said, Martha, you're really concerned about a lot of things. But Mary's doing what's needful. I think he had a bit of a compassion for Martha. He understood Martha's frustration, but he wanted her to know that she is just as important as Mary was to him. And I think sometimes we read the Bible and we see this, oh, he put her in her place. I think Thomas, when Thomas told, well, unless I see Jesus and put my hands in his uh, nail prints and scars, I won't believe it. Next time they're all together and Jesus shows up, he's like, Thomas, here you go. And Thomas, if ever was like an uh-oh moment, he was like, oh, Lord, you know. I don't think Jesus was rude or arrogant. I think he was compassionate. And if we're going to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, we need compassion. Guys, listen to me. I'm afraid that in our current climate, and I'm not talking about Shawnee Hills, I think we're a little better at this than some maybe. I don't know how to compare it, but I think we're above average. You can get more compassion at the local nightclub, more compassion there than you can in some local churches today because everybody's so concerned about fixing everyone else's behavior. But if we're going to rejoice with people when they rejoice and we're going to weep with those who weep, we've got to have the compassion of Christ where we look through Jesus' eyes, not our eyes. Our eyes are tainted. We are the body of Christ. We're His hands. We're His feet. We're His eyes. And when we look at others, how can we rejoice with them when we're jealous of them? Just because they're blessed and you're going through a problem right now, doesn't mean that your day won't come. But even if it doesn't come, according to the Scripture, we still should rejoice with them. Okay, I'm moving on. Verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now this is something that really is important. May it never be said of Christians that we think more of other people because of their economical stature, uh, their whatever. You maybe just got a better kinship with them or whatever. We should always look at everyone as another brother or sister in Jesus Christ. We should not think that we're, I'm only going to associate. We were having dinner at the church I used to be at, when I, the church I grew up, only been in two churches all my life. The church I grew up in at was I was on staff, and we used to do, on Wednesday nights, we'd do a dinner before church. And we'd eat, and I remember we were sitting there, we were talking about a statement was made, someone made the statement that we have had better success in the more rural, poorer areas of knocking on the door and witnessing to people. It was the affluent areas we had trouble. And one guy was sitting there, and he was eating, and he paused for a minute. He said, well, you see, I feel like God's called me to be witnessing to the other end of the spectrum, the rich. I said, really? And I said, well, can you show me that in the Scripture? He said, well, no, it's just what my personal feeling is. Well, let me tell you something. Everyone matters to Jesus Christ. Everyone matters. I did confirm that story. That little girl we did pick up on the bus route, that, true was sto that story was true. 
She was murdered by her mother. I thank God for men and women who would drive the van, go into the places they would go and pick up the children and bring them here to the Awana so they could hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord willing, in September, we'll be doing the same. We'll be running the buses. And I hope we pack them and I hope we have to, get another, I hope I have to come to you and say, hey, we need another van. Don't think you're better than everyone else. You're not. I'm not. You can't say to dirt, you're dirtier dirt than I am. We're all made from dirt, right? We can't say that. We have to be of the same mind. You matter because Jesus matters. I follow Jesus. He loves you. I love you. Warts and all. Don't think of yourself better than anyone else. Everyone is your brother. Everyone is a believer in Jesus Christ is your brother and sister in Christ. Love them. Treat them that way. Don't treat people differently because they do something for you or they do this or they do that or do this. Don't do that. Treat everyone the same. Love them. Verse 17. Here's a big one. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things, good things in sight of all Men, do not seek revenge. Think about this. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. You know when you're seeking revenge in your mind and you're plotting it out, and you're thinking, if I do this and they do this, everyone will know it was their fault. That's not of Christ. How in the world... Could Jesus Christ hang on the cross? Look at the people that spit on him. Look at the people that jeered at him and hit him and ripped the flesh off his back and cried out to the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. There's a Chinese proverb that says that he that seeks revenge dig two graves for you will surely be in one. Don't seek revenge. Don't avenge yourself. If it is possible, and it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, the Lord says. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. You know, there are people that haven't spoken to each other in 30 years over some insignificant thing that means nothing. Well, until they apologize, I'm not going to apologize. And I hope he or she gets what's coming to them. Listen, that's only destroying you. Many times that person's only living their life, they don't even know they've done something wrong. And they're having a good old time and you're fretting, not sleeping, worrying. Don't seek revenge. Why? It's not worth it. What do you do when you get revenge? What happens then? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the wrong. we got to learn to live peaceably among all men. Listen, so-and-so hurts you. Okay. Let it go. It's no big deal. Let it go. They said this about me. Is it true? No. Well, then don't worry about it. If it is true, then change. Don't avenge yourself. Now, let me just say 
quickly, real quickly, why, why should we do this? Number one, because the Word says so, right? That's obvious. Don't ever want to leave that out. But number two, because you're redeemed. That's a big reason why. You're, you and I are Christ followers. We're different. We are different. Thirdly, I would say because it releases the burden of self-centeredness. Please look here. If you catch nothing else, self-centeredness is a burden you can't bear. Self-centeredness will cause you to have health problems, emotional problems. Self-centeredness will cause you to an early grave. You have to surrender yourself to the Lord. Isn't that what it means when he said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when we started this chapter, to present your bodies a living sacrifice? Present yourselves. Surrender yourselves to him. Because this is what reveals your love for Jesus. John says, don't come to me, my translation, and say you love God in whom you haven't seen when you don't love your brothers and sisters in whom you have seen. John ties our relationship with each other to the Lord. And you and I will never love the Lord any more than we love each other. That's a bold statement. That's the Bible. Why do we have so many churches? I remember, I, the, you've heard the story, right? The guy that was on a deserted island, they finally rescued him. And when they took him up in the helicopter, they had all these huts. And he was saying, well, what's this hut over here? And he said, well, that's where I lived. And he said, well, what's this hut over here? And they said, well, that's where I store my coconuts. And he said, well, what's this hut over here? And he said, well, that's where I go to church. And he said, well, what's the hut over there? And he said, that's where I used to go to church. Instead of forgiving people, what do we do? We leave. We go to another church. And what do we do? We take that bitterness and anger with us to another church. And what happens in that church? We leave that. I'm just telling you guys what we got to do is just let it go. Because it reveals you love Jesus. Now, I want to say this. What do we do now that we know this? How in the world am I going to do this? Because my flesh doesn't want to do this. Is anybody with me? Come on now. I don't want to do this. Lord, sometimes I argue with myself and the Lord. Lord, I I don't want to do this. I know what your word says, but I really don't want to do it. Well, I would say it begins with confession. I have to confess, yeah, I'm wrong with this. And then, of course, repentance and obedience. But I would like to show you a way that I think is the central issue in the church, all churches. This is the central issue. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This is the central issue. This is the problem with all churches, all Christians. And if we get this right, things would fall into place. And we can because of the gospel. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's only one way you and I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Why? Well, verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. What do you want to do? I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. But I can't because of my flesh. Well, you're not walking in the Spirit. Well, how do I walk in the Spirit? Verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, 
You can't walk in the Spirit if you're not led by the Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, guys, listen to me. Obviously, you've got to be in the Word of God. That's how God speaks to us. But God, the Holy Spirit will take His Word that we have studied and put it in our heart. And when we need it, He brings us and He brings those two perfectly in alignment. And then we're able to do what the Lord wants us to do. He always will do that. But the problem is, many of us won't surrender to that work. But you say, but, but wait a minute, what about my flesh? We'll look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. So what you're saying is, when I'm selfish and I hold all that anger and I hold all that revenge against someone else, that is a work of the flesh. Yeah. Do you know that he puts that on the same plane as adultery, fornication, verse 21, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries alike, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice, who, could, who habitually do those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we got a bunch of Christians running around in the flesh, not being led by the Spirit, holding ill will against everybody that's ever in their, ever, ever even said anything wrong about us. And we wonder why we don't have the power of God in our churches anymore. Churches are fighting over the carpet and the flowers and the goofiest stuff I've ever even heard of. Take it all out. But there's a better way. Verse 22, there's a better way. But in contrast to all that, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law. Listen to me. For so many years, church has been about how we look and how we act. No, church is about who you are. Christianity is about who you are. You are redeemed. And Christ and His Spirit will work in you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. But if you harbor all of this stuff in your life, you will not be able to overcome evil with good. You will fight evil with evil and you will lose. Look at verse 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, I have to be led by the Spirit. And when I'm led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, then I can live in the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So let me just tell you this. If you and I those of us that are born again are being led by the Spirit. We are walking in the Spirit. We are then living in the Spirit. But if we're not being led by the Spirit and we're not walking in the Spirit, we're not living in the Spirit, we're living in sin. And the question is, do I want to overcome evil with good, or do I want to keep repaying evil with evil, tit for tat? 
you will lose every time. You will have ulcers. You will not sleep well at night. You will see people in Walmart and go the other way and forget why you're at Walmart. And you'll have to go back. I speak from experience. My wife sends me with a list and I bring everything but what's on the list. Because I saw someone I didn't want to talk to because they said something that I didn't like. And so I ran. And I'm ashamed of myself. I've been praying for revival for myself and for our church. And um, it's been clear everywhere I've been looking in the scriptures and studying the scriptures, I've been encountered with this reoccurring theme. If we're ever going to see God do something miraculous, powerful, wonderful in our church, we're going to have to be united in love, walking in the spirit together. Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, but walking, living in the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit of God. Being known for, oh man, that person there, she lo- she's love, joy, peace, long-suffering. She's so kind and good and faithful, self-control, gentle. Man, she's a Christian. We try so hard to clean up the outside and the inside is full of dead man's bones. Jesus standing before the religious crowd and said, you brood of vipers. You think, you think you're righteous, but you're nothing more than whitewashed tombs. Jesus wasn't talking to the lost when he said that. He was talking to the religious crowd. They might have been lost, I don't know, but they're a religious crowd. You know what I'm saying? Would you and I surrender ourselves afresh and new? I'm going to fight evil with good. I'm going to do it Christ's way for his glory and his honor. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to live in the Spirit. And today I'm going to surrender myself fresh and anew. Lord, take out all of my self-centeredness. Take out all of my pride. Take out everything that's keeping me from coming to you. I know, God, I need to change. Why don't you tell him today? He knows your condition better than you do. Would you join me as we pray?